I think I only shower about once every two to four months right now. And people are always like, oh, so you're like really dirty. And it's like, no, think about it again. I'm in quarantine. I don't go anywhere. I don't exercise. I'm not getting that dirty. Welcome to Loud and Seemingly Confident, the podcast for introverts, extroverts, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Chelsea Heaney, and my guest today has a rare disease called aquagenic urticaria, which means she is allergic to water. Yes, that thing you need to keep you alive, she is allergic to. She has taken to Instagram to tell people about AU and other chronic illnesses in general. Please welcome to the show the fantastic Tessa Hansen-Smith. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. That was such a warm welcome. I feel so, you know, special. (laughs) Well, I'm very (laughs) excited to have you here. When I came across your Instagram, which I think this is probably most people's reaction, I was just like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Um, Because I I think I mentioned when I reached out to you, one of our previous guests on the show has mast cell activation syndrome, or MCAS short, which people can go listen to that but that's an insane illness as well and I didn't think I could hear anything that would top that (laughs) Um. (laughs) and with like MCAS I'm pretty familiar with it because we have a lot of symptom overlaps Um, it's just that root cause is what's a little different yeah so can you can you tell us about aquagenic urticaria I'm saying that correctly (laughs) (laughs) yeah you got it Um, So in broad terms, it means you're allergic to water. Um, This can be sweat, tears, saliva. Um, It could be your own bodily fluids, other people's bodily fluids. It's rainwater, tap water, ocean water, anything that is water, no matter what, it will affect you. It's not a mineral found in water, even boiled or distilled water, I can still have a reaction from. Um, I even have a reaction from saline fluid, like IV drips you get in a hospital. Um, Yeah, so even like that very clinical, medical, safe kind of fluid will still give me a reaction inside my veins. Um, So that's always a really fun time at the hospital. Um, But the most common form of AU is to have external symptoms only. So Mm -hmm. exposure to water like showering can cause hives or rashes. Um, there's also people who have it internally. I have it both externally and internally. So drinking water is really painful for me. Bathing in water is really painful. Um, and I think my internal symptoms are what makes this uh, condition the worst for me, just because it can be kind of hard to avoid ingesting water or anything with it in it. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, it's internal and external. What type of reaction do you get? Like, is it is it the pain? Is it anaphylaxis or? Yeah, so I luckily have not reached um, an anaphylactic uh, episode yet, but there are people with AU who have gotten to that point before and have to carry an EpiPen and, you know, have all those extra precautions. Um, mm. For me, when I drink water or ingest anything with a high water content, Um, It'll make my tongue tingle. It'll sometimes make my gums bleed or swell up. Um, And then the most pain I get from it is in my stomach and my intestines. It's a sharp shooting, just cramp kind of a pain. Mm. Um, But I usually am doubled over in the fetal position and just kind of clutching my stomach in pain, waiting for it to 
you know, pass through my system and make its way out. Yeah, my goodness. And how rare is it? So if you look online or ask pretty much any doctor, they've told me at least since I was diagnosed, oh gosh, like 12 years ago, um, Mm -hmm. it was originally thought that there were only 32 people in the world with it at a time. Damn. Um, Yeah, which is a really isolating number. Yeah. Um, And then I've also heard on a higher end of that, that there's a hundred of us. Um, And up until I started my Instagram account, I had never met anybody with my condition before. And since starting this account, I think I've personally talked to about 120 people. Um, So way more than the original thought of 32 of us or even just 100 of us. There's so many more of us. Mm. So it's definitely still rare. It's just not as rare as all of us were kind of led on to believe when all of us were getting diagnosed. Um, yeah. And I obviously haven't talked to, you know, the entire world. So <laughs> the 120 I know aren't everyone that's out there. So I'm guessing that's a fairly high number, more than what people would expect. Yeah. But I mean, that's still very rare. Even if there's, <laughs> say, 300 people with it, that's still yeah. <laughs> very, very rare. Um, so how did you get your diagnosis? When did you start showing symptoms and all of that? Yeah, it, it's a it's a long process because it's difficult to go to a doctor and be like, I think water hurts. <laughs> yeah, so that was exciting. But um, my I'm pretty sure I've had this condition since I was born. That's most people's cases. Um, but symptoms can kind of show up later as the diagnosis kind of comes with the warning label that the condition gets progressively worse over time. Um, so when I first started noticing symptoms, I was only about eight years old. And it was because I got out of the shower and had these huge welts on my arm and my chest, um, probably like the size, oh man, what size is that? Definitely more than a quarter, um, but like a big circular welt that was like raised off the skin and my scalp was bleeding. I was actually having cuts and rashes forming on my scalp. Um, And luckily, I have doctors in my family. I have medical professionals who are already kind of embedded in my life. Um, So going to them being like, hey, like, what's what's going on here? Like, what should we be concerned about? Um, And of course, the first thing we did was take out all my soaps, all my shampoos from showering to think, okay, maybe you're allergic to a perfume or something in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then continue like continuing to shower and seeing I'm still having reactions. So then it was, okay, maybe your water's too hot and it's burning your skin. Um, And showering at cold water is just as painful. And then showering at room temperature water was still pretty painful, but wasn't as bad with those extreme temperatures. Um, And so for a little while, it was kind of just like, we don't really know what's going on with you. I guess just kind of keep paying attention to what's going on around you and see if you can find anything that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for about the next two years, it was us kind of trying to pay attention. And as an eight-year-old, it's really hard to pay attention to what things aren't normal to you because everything's normal to you. Like, that's your life. Um, And now that I'm older, I look back on all the things I thought was really normal then. Like, um, you know, the stereotype of, oh, kids don't like vegetables. Mm. So I thought it made sense because when I eat vegetables, my stomach really hurts. So I was like, yeah, kids don't like vegetables. That makes so much sense to me. Like, I'm on board with this. Um, And, you know, being told, like, oh, water is healthy for you. Like, don't get a soda, get a water. 
um, and just thinking like, oh, like the soda is unhealthy for you because you can drink more of it. Whereas with water, I couldn't drink as much because it hurt. So I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Like I get oh it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, younger me isn't sitting at dinner and then going, so mom, like, does that Brussels sprout also hurt you? Let's talk about this. It was mm. just, you know, things were going over my head and even stuff like swimming and rain and stuff like that and exercise I was rationalizing everything because that's just how life was presenting everything to me um so slowly me starting to kind of tell my parents almost everything I was feeling and them kind of looking at me like that that's not right that's not okay um and so kind of starting to narrow down the list of okay you're reacting to this and to this and it seems so not connected um And then starting to look into, okay, maybe this is an allergy of some sort since you're mainly having rashes and hives as a reaction. Um, And then looking towards more rare types of allergies as we started doing blood tests and allergy tests to rule out other things. Um, And doing that long kind of crossing out trial and error kind of a thing. And we finally got down to finding like the rare urticarias that are out there like solar urticaria, cold or heat urticaria and finding aquagenic urticaria mixed in there and thinking like that that actually kind of covers everything you're feeling like that makes a lot of sense um and so then continuing with any blood work or allergy tests to make sure like you're not allergic to a mineral found in this you're not allergic to something common that just happens to be involved in all of this all the tests came back negative for all of that and like mcas i was tested for that as well um and just wasn't showing the results they were expecting. So then the only kind of logical diagnosis was having aquagenic urticaria. And that took me about two years to get to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then every single time I've gone to a new physician, I've had to go through that process all over again. Um, So even with having a diagnosis, it's such an unbelievable thing that when a doctor meets you, they're like, I know you have a diagnosis, but I don't want to treat you and not know for sure if you have this because that's, you know, liability. Um, but at the same time, it's invalidating my experience. Yeah. Yeah. So that's always really exciting to go to a doctor who's supposed to help you and them just being like, I see you've on you've been on medication for eight years. You've been doing this for eight years. We're I just don't believe you. We're going to check it again. Um, oh so the diagnosis kind of journey is always going it's always continuous I'm actually in the process of getting re-diagnosed right now as I'm looking into getting a new doctor so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's always very fun to be like I've done all this before here's all my paperwork but let's pay for it and do it again just to make sure yeah that because I was initially going to say two years for a chronic illness from what I've heard is actually a fairly short amount of time. Yeah, it is. Like I've heard people have, you know, 10 years until they get it, but I've not heard that having to continuously get diagnosed with each doctor, which yes, you can understand from their point of view, it's so rare. They want to make sure that, but also like you said, like that's so invalidating. Yeah. Yeah. God, I can't imagine that. That sounds awful. (laughs) So sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's it's definitely an experience a lot of people with my condition have in common. Um, But then, of course, a lot of them have that, like you were saying, diagnoses can take decades sometimes. Mm. And I think I was really lucky with it because I had medical professionals in my family who could advocate for me and could come Mm -hmm. with me to these appointments and be like, 
listen, I know this is everything you're thinking. Let me like calm all this down and make sense to you and tell you what's going on from an adult medical professional's uh, perspective instead of an eight-year-old who doesn't know what's going on. Um, so that really helps speed up that process, but it's continuous and that's frustrating. Yeah. I heard you talk about on your, um, on some of your, your Instagram stories and other things that when you were younger, you actually didn't tell people that you had this, um, other than, you know, obviously your family and other medical professionals, but at school and things, you didn't tell people. What was the decision behind that? And like, and how did you pull that off? Because that seems like a very difficult thing to hide. <laughs> um, well, one thing that made it a little easier, um, I think I mentioned earlier that the condition progresses over time. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school and younger than that, it wasn't as bad. It was a lot more manageable. Um, my condition really got debilitating in college for me. So in the past two or three years, um, mm-hmm. But I was also homeschooled until I was in in high school. So being homeschooled, I wasn't every single day interacting with new people and having to hide what I was going through. I was more with my family and a lot more comfortable and didn't have to just hide things. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was more manageable. I only took maybe one or two medications back then, and it wasn't always needed. But going into high school, it was starting to get a little bit worse. and I. I feel like the decision wasn't even that conscious of a choice. It was just I hadn't really fully accepted the condition myself, even though it had been like, oh, man, like eight years at that point. Um, And just didn't really know how to explain that to people. And I'm already coming into this school as the new weird kid who was homeschooled. So Mm -hmm. adding that like, oh, I have a chronic illness, too, like that just, you know really helps you know meet new people um and another thing too is um I have had people in the past in my college who knew about it I've had people threaten me with water before like yeah it's not it sounds like they think it's a joke but it's it's just not I've had people like chuck ice at me before I've had people threaten to push me into a pool and like start to push me and then like grab me at the last second and be like oh just kidding and oh to them, I like I try to laugh it off, and I'm like, "Oh, huh, that was great." Um, and internally, I'm like having a panic attack. Um, and I think that was a fear that I kind of always had in high school, and that was part of the reason mm. I didn't want to tell people. I didn't want to give a reason to be bullied. Um, yeah. I was already bullied in high school, so I didn't want to add to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a lot of instances where I was having an allergic reaction, and tried blaming it on other things. I do have asthma, but I played it up a lot more in high school to think, you know, I have a severe case of asthma because it was able to kind of help get me out of situations where I would have to tell people about it. Um, Like I can't do physical exercise at all. So having to be forced to do PE in high school within about a month of the first time I was in PE, I was like, so sick I was throwing up in class I was passing out and waking up in the nurse's office um so again going to doctors and being like can we just tell them I have like really bad asthma that I just need to like not be in PE um so that was a way to kind of like pull me out of it without having to share something I wasn't ready to share yet Mm -hmm. um and even like my best friends I didn't tell any of my best friends until college when I was finally open about it so 
there were definitely times where they were like, oh man, I thought you had like the flu that week. Like that wasn't the flu. And I was like, no, I was, I was having an allergic reaction because it was raining the whole week. Like that was actually what was going on. Um, so I just got really good at hiding it um, and finding loopholes or figuring out ways to kind of cover myself. Like I would excuse myself to go to the bathroom a lot to just sit in a stall and deal with, um, you know, rashes coming up. But I I like the decision I've made to come out about it now. It's been a lot healthier and a better situation for me. Yeah. What was the thing that made you decide to to come out with it? It was, I went to college about three hours away from my parents. Um, and since they were the only people in my doctors who knew what was going on with me, I was now in a foreign place that no one there knows my condition. I have to get mm. all new doctors. And, you know, college can be kind of a crazy time. So I all of a sudden felt this fear that I hadn't had before of like, if something happens to me here, no one here knows what's going on with me. Um, and it was kind of also, you know, a chance to start over. People kind of see college as that restart after high school. And I decided I didn't want to be hiding anymore, especially because yeah. I knew my condition was going to get worse over time. Um, and so I'm really glad I did that because it did get really bad in college. But I think like the first weekend I was at college, um, like friends and me went to a party and at the end of the night, like somebody was trying to like give me water to drink and they were like, no, like drink this, like it'll make you feel better. Just drink it. And uh... I was like, no, 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 no. I do not want to drink that. And everybody around me being like, no, it'll make you feel better. Just drink some water. And then me just blurting out, like, I'm allergic to water. And everyone kind of looking at me like, um, what did she just say? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and kind of a, a defensive reflex I've gained from that is anytime I tell anybody about my condition and the immediate look of doubt on their face, I just start spitting every single fact I know. I start using all the medical yeah. jargon I know. I don't just call it a water allergy. I say like aquagenic urticaria and I go into mm -hmm. detail and like that's a good way to kind of convince people right away instead of them being like, are you actually though? Like, are you sure yeah. about it? And which is always fun to be questioned by strangers who don't know you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions is do you ever get people accusing you of lying about it? Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. More so now that I'm very open about it on mm. you know, social media, because um, people that you meet in real life, I can kind of, I don't know, show them who I am a little bit better and kind of get rid of that doubt. I have had people that I met in college, though, who I will tell them my experiences and they kind of look at me and they're like, uh, I don't know, like that really doesn't sound like anything that bad to me. And it's like... <sighs> Can can you drink water? Can you exercise? Can you eat fruit without having to take medication? Like, talk to me when that happens and we can go over this again. Um, and so people like that, I'll kind of snap at. But if it's people who are just like, you're joking, right? Like, that's not a thing. And me being like, no, that's real. And they are all like, start asking questions instead of being like, no, I don't really believe you. Mm. Those people, those people are more understandable to me. Like, I would probably have some doubts if I didn't have a chronic illness and kind of know this community. If someone told me that, I'd probably be like, wait, what? Like, are you kidding? Like, what's going on? Um, especially because people would see me do stuff that has water in it because water is so unavoidable. 
Yeah. Um, that, yeah, it's like, it's hard for me to be like, yes, I am allergic to it, but I do have to touch it right now. I have to wash my hands. We're in a pandemic. Like, I got to do my part in this. Um, but people online are a lot more, uh, a lot less understanding than people in person. Yeah. And I have had people like go to my account and be like, um, wow, like you finally found a way to like milk people for attention. And it's like, Ugh. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I would give up everything my Instagram gave me if I could shower normally, if I could yeah. exercise normally, I'm like, if I wanted attention, this is not the way I would have gone. Like, this yeah, is not there's plenty of ways to get attention. <laughs> this would not yeah. be the number one way to go. No, and it says so much more about that person that yeah. they think this is a way to get attention. It's like, what's going on in your life um, that makes that comment seem logical to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, you've sort of mentioned a few things here and there, but I wanted to ask sort of more about you know, the specifics of your allergy, obviously you have to drink water to survive. Like, we all know that. We've been told that since we grew up. You know, we're all told eight glasses of water a day. Yeah. So how how do you get around that? Because that would obviously be horribly painful for you. It is. How, it how are you is. still here? <laughs> yeah, that's always the fun question to have your mortality questioned. Um, but um, so I... Everything I kind of talk about today is, you know, with the premise that I take six to eight medications every single day to fight reactions, to reduce um, histamine responses, to lower my immune system. So everything I do is with help, but mm -hmm. I don't drink water. I don't get like a glass of water and think like, oh, this would be great. I actually drink whole milk. So okay. any dairy product, any like animal based milk works for me because, um, a good analogy that I use for that is if you've ever eaten something spicy and drank water afterwards, it still burns. But if you drink milk afterwards, it soothes it. Um, the fats and the proteins inside milk are able to coat the digestive tract and coat the pain receptors in there. Um, and so when it does that, it makes it so my body is in a little bit less pain as it's being kind of blocked by the micronutrients inside milk. And so the water isn't able to kind of get past that um, internal barrier, start getting absorbed in my intestines and um, kind of work its way through my kidneys and out again. But the majority of the water in milk that I ingest is flushed out. It does not stay in my body very well. Yeah. My body is not a fan of it. Um, so when people ask like, well, how do you stay hydrated? I always tell them, well, I'm not. Um, I'm fairly dehydrated. Like you can kind of see it in my skin. You can see it in like um, kind of how I react, like being so prone to fainting and being prone to heat exhaustion. Mm -hmm. um, but my body does better if I'm not that hydrated. So the amount I can get in is enough for my body to keep running as best it can. And you know, when I say that it does not run well, it just runs <laughs> as best it can. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it. And people always say like, well, if milk's okay, is like plant milk okay, or coconut milk, um, and it's not the word, you know, milk that is important. Mm -hmm. It's the nutrients found in, you know, milk that's meant to grow like children, you know, it's meant to grow babies of any animal species, yeah. you know. Um, so it's that component that people kind of don't always connect with. Um, mm -hmm. But any milk that's plant based is heavily water based and yeah. doesn't have those same nutrients in it. 
So those are very painful for me. Coconut milk is very painful. Um, water, Gatorade, Pedialyte, anything like that really, yeah. really hurts. Um, but so I'm really glad I have found something that is at least tolerable. Um, mm-hmm. But even with that said, like you're supposed to drink, you said like eight glasses of water a day. I can't even drink eight glasses of milk a day. My body can <laughs> like it's a you lot know, of milk. <laughs> it is a lot of milk. Like I would love to do that, but my body is not a big fan of yeah. it. Um, because after you know a few glasses, you're still introducing a lot of water to your system. Yeah. So I think I've kind of found that my maximum amount a day is 48 ounces. Um, but that's like an extreme. My normal amount is usually only about 30 ounces a day. Um, so it's still not a lot. Still not getting a lot of water into me, but just enough that my cells are kind of functioning enough to keep me upright and keep me conscious most of the time. So yeah, yeah it's not super easy, but I found a good way around it. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned like fruit and stuff before. So obviously most plants need water to grow. So have water in them. So is that, you know, most things that you eat would have water in them, including meat as well has water in it so how do you get around that is it mostly the medication helping yeah so the medication does help a fair amount and then it's also the amount of water found in something so things like potatoes or meat um does have some water in it but it's usually not enough to cause a reaction mixed with the medications I take and mixed with all of those nutrients found in those foods um Mm -hmm. they will do a similar thing that the milk does kind of help my body block some of the amino responses to the water so enough is able to slip past and get absorbed um I pretty much stay away from vegetables now I used to be able to eat more of them um but in the last two years my body was kind of just like I don't want to see a vegetable it cannot enter our system get it out of here um fruit is a little bit easier still because you know it has such a high dose of sugar in most of them Mm. Um, that it makes it a little bit easier, but I can't like eat fruit on an empty stomach. I have to like prep my body with, um, I usually try to prep it with like milk or like bread or like something with high protein. And then Mm -hmm. I can eat some, uh, fruit with it and make it a little bit easier to go down. But I'm definitely not eating like the recommended fruit serving of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That really surprises me that fruit is easier than vegetables because I would think fruit, I mean, I know you mentioned the sugar, but I would think fruit would have a lot higher water content than than most vegetables. Yeah, and it can it can depend on the fruit too. Like um watermelon, I really can't do at all. It's you know, it's just watery. It's in the name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's right there. Um, but stuff like bananas is a little easier. Um strawberries and grapes and apples can be a little easier. Um, things like apples, like something you have to, it's kind of a harder shell to bite into will make my gums bleed a little faster. Um, something like a grape that I can just kind of like pop in, bite once and like swallow as fast as I can is a little easier. Um, but, and there's kind of the same thing with vegetables. Like there's stuff like, um, avocado has a fairly low amount of water in it too. So that's a lot easier to get in and digest and deal with than like celery or carrots. Yeah. Though avocado is technically a fruit. That's true. Technically, everything's <laughs> a fruit. I learned that in college that, like, vegetables is, like, a social construct because all fruit, <laughs> you know, has to have a seed, and that's what a this fruit is. True. is. This is true. <laughs> that's the vegetable social construct. <laughs> it's technically scientifically true. <laughs> I remember a teacher 
teacher of mine in college just starting a lecture with that, everybody kind of being like, what does that mean, though? <laughs> the whole uh, debate is uh, tomatoes a fruit or vegetable. It's technically all of it's a fruit, so. Fantastic. I love that. You also mentioned, you know, exercise and stuff because you're also allergic to your own sweat and tears and other bodily <laughs> fluids. This, I mean, the, the more we talk about it, the more insane it is. Um, <laughs> so how how do you avoid those things? Obviously, you said you avoid exercise, um, but, you know, everybody cries. Everybody yeah. sweats at some point. You know, how how do you manage those sides of things? Yeah, it's always fun. Um, <laughs> so with exercising, at least in quarantine, it's been so much easier. I can just sit at home, never exercise, don't really have to go anywhere. feels really good. Um, but when I was in college, before quarantine hit, I had to get driven on my campus. It's a, It was like a biking college, so everyone biked everywhere or walked everywhere. Um, and I was able to do that for the first two years I was there. And then when my condition got significantly worse, I had to go to the disability service and get like a little shuttle that would take me from class to class which always made it so much better because if I walked to class or got stuck in the rain walking to class, I would show up with a fever of like 102. I would have rashes like covering most of my body. And that's not a productive way to learn when your body is fighting something and trying to be like, okay, I really don't understand math. This isn't making it any easier. Um, So stuff like that, like accessibility and mobility aids did help a lot. And then now, you know, I'm not really doing that much. Um, but with sweating, you know, with the summer kind of coming up here and starting to get warmer, um, I try to wear as few layers as possible. Um, and I try to be somewhere that has air conditioning as much as I possibly can. Or if I know I'm going somewhere without it, I'll try to bring like an electric fan with me that doesn't need any wires or can plug into my phone. Um, and just kind of prepping for each day knowing like what I'm gonna have to do and what I'm gonna have to prepare for um like in my house even in the winter here I'm like begging my parents to turn off the heat and turn on the AC and they'll be in like in thermals and sweaters and have like like blankets on and I'll be in like shorts and a tank top and being like oh it's too hot here like we gotta (laughs) we gotta fix this yeah um so I pretty much always have a fan on me I try to stay as cold as possible I buy clothes that aren't going to be, you know, scratchy or overly hot or thick material. Um, But it can be pretty hard to avoid sweat because even if it's just a small amount that any other normal person wouldn't even know they sweat that day, my body immediately notices it and it'll cause a reaction which will cause my body temperature to go up. And, you know, your body temperature going up causes you to sweat more, which then causes Mm -hmm. another reaction and just kind of follows that fun cycle. Um, so if I do kind of get into that situation, I'll usually just lay down in bed and like strip to as few clothes as I can, have a fan on me, get a glass of milk near me and just like try to let my body recuperate Mm -hmm. and recover. It's a lot of, it's a lot of recovering because, you know, not everything is very avoidable. Um, and with crying too, you know, it's so sad to be like, you just want to cry sometimes and it's painful to do it. Yeah. Um, So I've either gotten really good at like holding back those tears and kind Mm -hmm. of deciding like, is this important enough for me to get a rash to or can I hold this in? 
um, and also getting tissues and kind of putting them right up to that tear duct, like right up to your eye line and catching the tears like as mm-hmm. they're coming out um, does help a lot. But then my eyes like the like inside the corners of your eyes will still really, really itch. Um, and a lot of the times if I cry, I'll usually give myself a migraine or a headache and have to deal with that, too. But, you know, so like crying is therapeutic. Like, I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. So I'll let myself when it's needed and I'll either take extra medications or just know I'm going to be recovering for a little while. Yeah. Um, something I just thought of while you were talking about that with the heat and everything. Do you have to be aware of like evaporative cooling that, you know, water in the air and stuff like that? Yeah, you're not many people recognize that. Um, <laughs> people are always really shocked when I say stuff like that. Like, it's actually supposed to rain here in my town, like today. Um, and I can feel the moisture in the air, like kicking up over the past day or so. Um, I have a chronic rash around my mouth that's just always there. I'm always treating mm-hmm. it, but it'll flare up when it's about to rain. Um, so it's kind of like having that trick knee that some people have that can like feel the pressure change in the air my mouth can feel the moisture change in the air it's a really uncomfortable sentence to say out loud but um (laughs) so it does affect my body and things like um if I got caught in the rain even if I was in rain gear had an umbrella was like under an awning and not directly being rained on there's so much moisture in the air Mm. that it's still touching your skin it's still getting on you even if the regular person isn't going to notice that moisture um, my body does other people with AU, they have kind of the same thing going on where, um, places that are humid are really painful to be, um, yeah. places that are constantly raining are really uncomfortable. Um, even just fog or like the steam from a shower, the steam that kind of builds up if you're cooking in your house, um, mm. even just stuff like that can really bother you. Yeah, and I was thinking about it as well because you you live in California and you know California is known for being sunny all of the time, <laughs> which I guess is a good thing because there's less rain. But also, as you mentioned, it can get quite hot. So was yeah. that something? Have you always lived in California, or did your family sort of go, okay, where is going to have the best weather to to help with your AU? Oh, I I was never the deciding. <laughs> I was actually born um, like one state above me in Oregon um, and Oregon's a really rainy place. Like it is raining pretty much every single day of the year there. Um, But when I was born there, I obviously my symptoms weren't as bad. And we moved there when I was moved back from there to where I am now in California. This is like my dad's hometown. Um, Came here, I think, when I was about four or five. So didn't have a lot of time being stuck in the rain up there to kind of see what my body was going to do. But then where I am here in California, California is a big state. So like Northern California is cold and rainy and Southern California is like dry and hot and sunny. Um, And I'm smack dab in the middle of California. So I'm in like a desert town that has like fairly okay winter. Sometimes it'll rain a tiny bit, but it's usually never that cold. Um, but then in the summer, it'll reach about, sometimes it can reach like 110 degrees Fahrenheit, um, which is pretty hot and really uncomfortable. And now that it's getting hot here again, I'm very much dreading it. I always kind of dread the summers here, but, you know, I can't really just pick up and move anytime it gets a little hotter. So I stay inside a lot. 
Yeah, which, like you said, in the pandemic, works. <laughs> yeah, it works really well for me. I can just yeah. stay in my house with my cats and not, you know, interact with the outdoor world. Yeah. Uh, now, I know this is a question that you get a lot, and I do already know the answer to this, but I know the people <laughs> listening will want to know the answer to this. The body is 70% water. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to continue. I know exactly what yeah. <laughs> Okay, so... Um, with AU, it's an allergy, not an autoimmune disorder. So with an autoimmune disorder, it's your body attacking itself, attacking its own cells. Um, but AU is not autoimmune. It's an allergy. So how allergies work is it sees a foreign substance entering your body as a threat. Um, so somebody who has like a peanut allergy, it's, you know, peanuts are foreign entering your body if peanuts were inside your body you know it'd have a little more like kind of like how I am um but so the water already inside my cells um that are not a part of my digestive tract are totally safe totally incorporated into my body so my body doesn't see it as a threat anymore um a weird thing to think about though with your digestive tract it's technically considered external skin even though it's inside you the skin there um, cause we're kind of just like a tube we're, we're like a donut. Um, <laughs> and so that hole in a donor, that hole in a tube is also external. Um, mm -hmm. so when it's kind of passing through there and that's to protect your body from, if you eat something bad or the acid in your stomach, isn't ripping through your tissues. Um, so when it's going through your digestive tract, your body is still external skin and it's still treating it as if it's the same skin on your actual like outside that people can see. Um, so what we were talking about earlier, how milk kind of helps buffer my digestive tract. So some of the water can get past and get absorbed into my body. Um, once it makes it past that barrier of external skin in my digestive tract to inside incorporated into my body, being sent to my cells, being used in um, chemical reactions, my immune system no longer cares about it, no longer sees it as a threat. So that's how it's, you know, kind of weird to be like, yeah, I am water, but it's okay. Like that, that's safe, yeah. that's safe water. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, another question that I'm sure you get all of the time is how do you shower? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, not easily um, and not mm. often. Um, mm -hmm. everybody with AU kind of chooses their own way to go about this. I know some people with it will shower every single day, but they'll shower a different body part every day, um, to like limit how long they're exposed. Um, for some people baths work really well, but showers, um, don't or showers work really well for some people and baths are the hardest. Um, for me, I only shower. I don't get into like water that I'm just submerged in and stuck in. Yeah. Um, but so... I think I only shower about once every two to four months right now. Um, mm -hmm. And people are always like, oh, so you're like really dirty. And it's like, no, think about it again. I'm in quarantine. I don't mm -hmm. go anywhere. I don't exercise. I'm not getting that dirty. Um, so my body has kind of also adjusted to that as well. Um, you know, the human body wasn't built to be soaked up and scrubbed every single day. Um, so my body has just kind of relearned and been retrained to not produce as many oils. Um, so my hair doesn't get as oily as fast because it's been trained. My skin doesn't get as dirty or oily as fast because it's learned what my kind of routine is with being cleansed and 
hydrated and all that fun stuff that happens in a shower. Um, But I will definitely take extra medications either before or after hopping into a shower because it can be a lot. Um, When I get into a shower, I usually will start hyperventilating because my body goes into shock. Um, I tend to start to faint a lot when I'm in a shower. So also having a spot that I can kind of like brace myself against the wall or jump out of the shower and like go on the ground in the fetal position and try to let my body like Uh slow down again. Um, Try not to shower if no one's home. Sometimes I do. It's probably not the best idea because I do faint a lot of the times I shower. Um, But then having a shower head where you can push the water away from you or turn off the water itself gives me time that I'm still wet. I'm still rinsed, but I can do all my like shaving or soaping or shampoo without having water still being directly on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why showers are easier for me than baths. But for some people with showering, it's like being berated with water just hitting your skin constantly yeah. is more painful than just being in it. Um, so even though we all have the same condition, all have the same reactions in water, in being bathed, um, we have kind of different preferences of what our body's okay with. So long periods between showering and Um, taking extra medications and then resting afterwards is kind of the best thing for me because when I do get out of a shower I typically have a fever of about 100 or 101 degrees Fahrenheit Um, so that's always really painful to kind of have a fever just kick in it within like 10 minutes Um, and then of course my whole body is usually covered in rashes and just kind of dealing with that sudden pain and hyperventilating and your body being in shock just doesn't feel good Um, so I'll usually like plan a day to shower and like not have anything planned for the next few days after that and just rest a lot and rely on my parents to help me like get food or like help me to the bathroom if I'm really struggling. So it's not a very fun experience. I've never had like a relaxing spa shower day kind of a thing. Yeah. God, yeah. (laughs) What is you know, we've talked about fruit and all of that stuff. What is something that you can't have or you can't use that would surprise people, that they they, they just don't think about that having water in it? Uh, I feel like it's less of a, like a, like a product or a food kind of explaining mm. it in that way, but I'm allergic to other people. So dating other people is yeah. painful, um, <sighs> which always kind of surprises people too. Um, And that wasn't something I knew about this condition until I was about 16 and was seriously dating people for the first Mm -hmm. time, Um, which is always a fun time. You know, you're an adolescent, you have hormones, you're attempting a date and don't realize you have a little extra layer of uh, added safety you have to deal with. Um, But so I was dating uh, a guy at the time and, you know, being that age, getting a little bit more intimate. And all of a sudden, I was really, really sick. Um, mm-hmm. I was sick for about 11 months straight. Um, oh, my just, God. Yeah, it was not a good time. I don't remember my junior year of high school that much. Um, but it was like, I. it seems like I had like varying forms of viruses come up every single week. It was a new thing. I was constantly on medication, constantly switching medication. Um, I would have like a stomach bug for three days and like, Um, a sinus infection and then in a few days I would get new strains of both those things and extra stuff added on top 
Um, and me and my boyfriend, then we were long distance. So I didn't always see him every single day. Um, so every now and again, my body would be like, okay, like we're recovering, like we're doing better. And then I would see him not realize being with him was the issue and then making everything flare up again. Um, and so that took us a really long time to figure out. And we only really figured it out because I got so sick. I was bedridden. Um, and I even had a gland in my body develop a cyst and become infected. And a cyst is literally just like a fluid filled sack. Um, so fluid in my body where it shouldn't be was really painful. And it even led to like two procedures I had to do to like incise it and cut it out of my body. Um, so while I was bedridden for about three months of those 11 months, I wasn't seeing my boyfriend because I was only like awake for an hour a day and it was just Mm -hmm. my mom would come wake me up make me swallow some pills help me to the bathroom um I couldn't really walk during that time I was in a wheelchair um to be taken to doctors and stuff like that so I just wasn't doing too well Um, (laughs) and then I was like starting to kind of feel a little bit better it was near my birthday so my boyfriend wanted to come and visit me and like spend some time with me Um, and at that point couldn't really do anything intimate because my body was not doing Mm -hmm. well, but, um, like we kissed. And then after he had left after a few days, I started noticing like everything hurts again. Like my mouth, like that's where my chronic mouth rash kind of first started and has been with me since. Mm. Um, but that flared up again and my symptoms all flared up again. And I was kind of talking to my mom, like, what like what happened like what's going on like I haven't changed anything and then starting to kind of think like well you're allergic to your own sweat your own saliva your own tears why not other people's um so going down that kind of a rabbit hole of is this even possible and also my boyfriend didn't know about my condition I kept that a secret from him too. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I say no one knew back then, I meant no one. Best friends, boyfriends did not tell them. Um, So, you know, we would go on hikes together and I would be like, yeah, I'm doing great and be like dying internally. Um, Just to fit in, you know, how hormones in teenage life goes. God, high school sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So after kind of thinking like maybe this is the cause um started to do like more testing to make sure I didn't actually develop an autoimmune disorder in that time or didn't have cancer or something that could just be destroying my immune system um and again when everything came back negative for those things it was like maybe we should step back from him a little and like Mm -hmm. see how that goes um and being long distance it was easy then and then totally not related to this but then I broke up with him a few like months later And then my body was doing really good. I was starting to heal and recover. And it was my senior year of high school um, and started to actually be healthy again, which was really nice. And then going off to college, having to be like, okay, now I need to tell people because if I date someone again and this happens again, I should have more people in my circle who knows what's going on with me. Um, And with people, too, I... I don't know why I'm more allergic to some people than others. It's been a various kind of, uh, what is it, like kind of severity with each person. Um, And I can't really tell why, like I've dated athletes before who are always drinking water and always staying hydrated and had no reaction to them or a very mild reaction to them and dated someone else who was drinking a lot of water and had like a huge reaction to them. So I'm not sure what it is 
like the biological kind of compatibility between bodies that's really there. Um, and I'm not really sure how to figure that out to go ask people like, hey, can you all like kiss me and we can like try to figure out like why <laughs> some of you hurt a lot, some of you don't. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little science experiment I have anytime I just try to date someone. But um, that's always kind of the thing that surprises people. And it surprised me and my doctors a lot too. So that's one that people don't really think to yeah. question. Yeah. God, that's tough. And um, <laughs> Sort of along those lines, and we we were chatting about this before we started recording, and I made a note to talk about it. Um, you have ten cats. <laughs> I knew we were coming to this soon. <laughs> and I I have one cat, and I know he likes to lick. Um, yeah. So ten cats. Uh- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So. Most of my cats aren't super, like, lick-friendly. Like, they don't always lick you. There are also two other people in my household they can go lick if they want to. We also have a dog. She's not a huge licker, but she'll do it. Um, And I take enough medications that if they just kind of lick me once, it's like nothing really happened, we're fine. Um, But every now and again, like, if they're feeling, like, extra loving or just, like, want to cuddle with you and start, like, licking in one spot for, like, a little while, I'm like... This is really, um, this is really starting to hurt, but I know you're happy and you're really cute. Um, and I know they're not doing it thinking they're hurting me or trying to do it in like a malicious way. So it's hard for me to be like, get off of me, you're hurting me when I can definitely say that to a person and definitely will say that to a person. Um, but with them, it's either like, doesn't happen so much that I'm like, oh, like this is an issue. Or when it does happen, I can sometimes kind of like, gently move them so they're not licking that same spot anymore or just kind of put a blanket down over like any exposed skin so they're messing with that instead of my skin um but people do always wonder like aren't you allergic to like your pets then like they're you know they have saliva in them and they're going all over the place with that but it's not a horrible um reaction I have met like some dogs who have like big slobbering drooling yeah. mouths all the time and I love animals so I'll be like oh my god like let me pet you and all my friends will be like tested like don't go near them like they're gonna <laughs> lick you and I'm like I know like I'm excited to go pet <laughs> this dog <laughs> so I'm like I am okay with getting a rash if it means I can go pet that cute animal um, it's worth it for me <laughs> at that point but <laughs> So there are things that are worth getting a, a rash over. And for me, it's pretty much always animals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just amazed when you said you had 10 cats. That, like, the, the main thing that hits me is like, oh, my God, that's so much responsibility. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think we've hit our, like, max capacity <laughs> for cats. Um, it's like, because we usually, like, Uh, rescue the these cats like that's kind of how they join our family like we're not going to a shelter every weekend and being like you know what we need is a new cat um, in the house it's always kind of been like um, if there's strays outside and you can kind of tell like that one's not gonna survive out here um, Mm -hmm. we kind of take it in and most of the time we take in a cat thinking like we'll just like um, rehab you we'll find you a home we'll get you to someone else who doesn't already have like six cats at the time um and then you know you fall in love with that animal and you're caring Mm -hmm. for it you're treating it and 
just, you know, it's so hard to let go of that animal once you form that attachment and start loving it. So then we all kind of reached that point with the new cat that we're like, we're not, we're, none of us is looking for a home for this cat anymore, right? Like none of us are looking anymore. Um, <laughs> and then it's kind of just like, yeah, they're a part of the family. Like, let's just, mm-hmm. let's just make that official. Um, but the, after the 10th one who came pretty recently, I think we only adopted him in like a month or so ago. He's kind of, we kind of all decided like, that's our, this is our maximum. It's a lot nice of cats. round number. Yeah. <laughs> like nine wasn't a good number to stop at. We had passed five a long time ago. Like we needed a good solid number. Oh, uh, that's amazing. I love that so much. <laughs> it's so good. It's uh, I love them. Everybody also loves my cats on my Instagram. I get people DMing me and commenting like, I want to see more of your cats. So I definitely include them in more of my content because people are asking for it. So why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're gorgeous. And thank you for that segue. Um, <laughs> when did you decide to start your social media? Oh, yeah, that's always a that's a fun question. Because when I when I was making it, I was crying home alone in my college apartment um I had just gotten out of the ER that I spent like 15 hours in and I was in the like ER the night before that and like three days before that I was in the hospital so I was kind of at this point where that's when my allergy was becoming really debilitating and I was faced with I have to quit both my jobs I have to like take less units at college I was struggling a lot um so people always kind of think like, oh, you like you started your Instagram for fun. And I'm like, I was sobbing oh. while typing in like username ideas, um, which is always, you know, that's a fun coping mechanism. And that's kind of what I started it as. It was um, it was kind of more of a way for me to tell all my friends and family at once what was going on yeah. with me, um, because I was in and out of the hospital so much in those few days that it was so hard to just keep texting people like, this is what's going on with me. This is what's going on. And like, I'm really too tired to keep uh, reiterating everything and explaining what I'm going through. So I then started as kind of like a, any of my friends who want to know what's going on with me, any of my family members who are curious, I can just be like, I talked about it on there go look at the post I just made. Um, and then also kind of just a way for me to look back on it. Um, like, everybody has their bad days and you get past them, you have good days and then bad days come again. So I figured if I'm at a good day, I can look back and see where I was just a few weeks ago. And, you know, that I was crying in my room making an Instagram and now I'm happier and doing better. Um, So it was kind of like a hopeful, I hope things are getting better in the future that I can look back on this and think it's a distant memory that doesn't hurt anymore. Um, And so when I first had it, I had, I think like the biggest number I had before it really became a thing was like 138 people who were majority people I know. And then like six people I didn't know. Um, But then I started kind of looking for more accounts that had people with AU, just hoping like maybe there's someone out there. And I started to find other people who had AU or had MCAS who had kind of similar symptoms to me. Um, and then just started kind of engaging with and meeting all these people in the chronic community. And I've never really had friends that had chronic issues like me, like had chronic physical conditions. So I never really had someone I could relate to on that level. Um, and even if we didn't have the same condition at the time, it was, you know, still someone who could 
understand what I was going through on a much deeper level. Mm. Um, and then I think, I think it was around November of like 2019, I think, I think so. Yeah. I think it was November of 2019 where, um, a woman had reached out to me saying she wanted to write like an article about me. Like she stumbled on my page and thought it was really cool and had a weird kind of condition that people want to know about. Um, and she reported to daily mail, um, which mm-hmm. has like a big Snapchat following is kind of like that site you see anywhere on the internet talking about like the Kardashians or something like that. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, like, that's fun. Like, I'd be happy to talk to you and kind of give you an idea of what I'm going through. Um, and I really never expected anything from it. I thought like, oh, maybe 50 people would see that. And that would be insane. Like, that'd be crazy. Um, and then she was in England. So she posted it while I was asleep. Um, and so then I woke up the next day to the email of being like, oh, I posted it. Like, here's the link to go look at it. And I was like, oh, yay, that's so exciting. And I like clicked on it and was reading through it. And like, oh, that's fun. And like, told my parents about it and let them read it and like texted my sister that it was up. And then all of a sudden, I'm kind of realizing I'm having a lot of Instagram notifications right now, I should check my phone, like thinking, I would maybe have like, again, like 50 people maybe were interested. And I was getting like a thousand followers like every hour. And so that just kind of like threw me through a loop. I was like, this is insane. This is so many people. And I was getting so many comments and messages and just being so overwhelmed. Um, But while all that was happening, I had people who had AU reaching out to me for the first time and Mm -hmm. meeting people who were like me and people who were like trying to find me through any means possible. I was getting Facebook notifications that people were like, I have AU, I really want to talk to you, like, please respond to me. Um, And so that kind of started my more, more the Instagram that people know now, instead of just kind of a personal diary. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's when I started like cultivating this chronic community and started teaching a lot more than just sharing my experiences I was going more into depth on what the mechanics are what I'm kind of going through um and that kind of just snowballed from there and I in the future had like another person who wrote an article about me I did a few podcasts which are always really fun um and then it just kind of kept going from there and I kind of kept learning how to grow and how to engage better and I reached out like did some stuff on TikTok like posted some stuff there that's how I know I'm old, though. I do not understand TikTok at all. Oh, I don't and, get like, it at all. No, I don't, I don't get, get it. it. I don't. <laughs> like, it seems so intuitive, but I don't understand it. So I, like, <laughs> never use it. <laughs> and it makes me feel so old. Um, but I figured out how to do Instagram Reels. So I'm, like, the more millennial version of the social media right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, since those are so popular nowadays, too, I started kind of making reels. And I think it was only like the second one I made. It was kind of like my first kind of branch off into more of like the kind of funny stage kind of looking reels, not like just a talking about what's going on kind of a sit down talk. Um, And I thought it was literally just like a funny thing and was like, oh, this was a fun way for me to like practice how to use this. And it went viral. It was everywhere. And I like I think currently it has like 7.8 million views. Damn. Yeah. And I was like, that makes no sense to me. Like I didn't mean for that to be like exciting for people. So I was kind of like, well, now I don't understand anything about Instagram <laughs> either. <laughs> and then um, you know, just 
I kept engaging with people and I kept growing my community and I kept meeting more people at AU and it really turned into this huge thing I never expected it to become and I love it. I love my community and it's so fun being able to talk about myself but to the point that people think it's interesting and want to know more and that I'm able to teach people about what's going on and not just be like oh I have this weird thing we don't really know what's going on about it here's a picture of my cat um (laughs) having something that I can really grow and educate and do something and it's really nice when you know being chronically ill in quarantine you don't have a ton of options to what to do with your life so Mm -hmm. it's been really rewarding yeah, that's very cool. Now, we are almost at the end here. Um, I could talk to you for ages. You're so easy <laughs> to talk to. I've been loving this. No, um, but I always like to ask a random question of my guests okay. towards the end of the episode. So it's got nothing to do with anything we've talked about so far. <laughs> okay, different in every episode. So my question for you is what book has made a big difference in your life? Ooh. Oh, man, would it sound really lame to say it's like a psychology textbook from college? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if that's your answer, that's your answer. Because I feel like I could say like, oh, Harry Potter, you know, I love Harry Mm -hmm. Potter. I'm a very proud Hufflepuff. But um, (laughs) like psychology is a subject I really grew to love in college. So I think like the first one that really like intrigued me was a book about like the like psychology and biology of like how people interact with people I always Mm -hmm. thought kind of that social construct was always very cool and that kind of shaped me as a person so that sounds really nerdy and lame but I'm gonna go with that (laughs) (laughs) no I mean that's totally fair enough yeah you find a passion and it's great um I would say for mine most people listening know I also love Harry Potter, oh, um, but that's not my answer. Um, <laughs> and also, fuck J.K. Rowling, but Harry yeah. Potter. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but mine is actually Clarice Bean. I don't know oh. if you've heard of the Clarice Bean series. I oh. am a very slow reader, and <laughs> as a kid, I didn't like reading. Like my sister is a massive reader. She yeah. was really into Harry Potter, so I tried reading that. It was like no, because um, I just could. Well, I just couldn't get into it because I wasn't a very good reader. And then yeah. my dad bought me these Clarice Bean books, and I just got really into them. And I think maybe part of it is the the character Clarice Bean. It's like a book within a book. Like she reads these books called Ruby Redford, which is about spies and stuff. Yeah. So it was like it was a book about a girl reading books. <laughs> and you were like, so I don't know if that was sort of part of it, but. <laughs> Yeah, and then from then on, like, I'm still a very slow reader, but I now love reading. So, okay. you go, the Clarice Bean book was my one. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a sweet <laughs> um, one. It's sweet. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, thank you to Dad for buying me those Clarice Bean books. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Dad on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, Dad always – I have so many stories about him, and they come up frequently <laughs> in these podcasts. And he's always like, you're always making fun of me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not always making fun of you. Sometimes you've done funny things, and sometimes I'm saying really sweet things about you. It changes. He's only going to pay attention to the parts where you're, like, making fun of him. Yeah. Yeah, um, so he'll be listening now. Um, I said something nice about you, okay? Uh, 
Um, and now my final question for you, which is one I ask everyone who comes on the show. The show is called Loud and Seemingly Confident because that's how I want to describe myself. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a confident person? I'm definitely seemingly confident. I really, yeah. I really took a, a hit with that one too. Um, I am not a naturally confident person, but I've kind of done the whole fake it till you make it type of mindset oh. to get here. Um, and, you know, being that weird person, I don't want to just be, I have a weird condition and I'm just a weird person. I want to have a little bit of a good flair in there too. So I've definitely become more confident, but it's not a natural thing. This is something I had to work for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on this show. This has been an absolute blast. Like I said, I could talk to you forever. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining in and listening. Please like, share, follow, all of those things to get this seen by more people. Uh, you can also go catch up on any of our previous episodes wherever you're listening to this one. You can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea J. Heaney, or you can follow the podcast at Loud and Seemingly Confident both on Instagram and Facebook. Tessa, where can people find out more about you? <laughs> you can find out more about me on Instagram. My handle is at livingwaterless. Um, and that's probably the best place to learn about my condition. Yeah, awesome. Again, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, my pleasure completely.